Well, good morning and welcome on this Memorial Day weekend and what an amazing weekend it has been so far. I hope you have had lots of time to be outside, whether that's working in the garden and getting everything done or enjoying some barbecues with family. You know, as a kid, I always loved Memorial Day weekend. Uh, the pools opened in West Virginia, and I spent all of my time at Jackson Park Pool. Pretty much from the time it opened to the time it closed, almost every day of the summer, my brother and I just lived there. I think my mom thought it was the best $12 she invested for that annual pool pass to get us out of the house and to the pool every day. It was fantastic. It was close to the last day of school, and as a kid, I did not like school. So it was a huge part that it was almost over, and it was going to be great. And then we got Monday off, and Memorial Day was always like right around my birthday. Sometimes it's right on my birthday, sometimes it's just right around my birthday. And I was like, oh, how nice that we got a day off of school for me. It was great. So I just loved this celebration that happened the truth is, I'd taken this incredibly important holiday, and it made it all about me. But let's be honest. I mean, how many of us who don't have family in the military or haven't lost someone pause during this weekend to say thanks? You know, it's about the unofficial beginning of summer, right? That's what Memorial Day weekend is. It's the end of school. It's the beginning of yard work. It's barbecues. And in all of this, we've missed the point. Do you ever wonder why it's so easy for us as human beings to continually miss the point? We miss the point in, around holidays, we make them about the Easter money and Santa Claus and barbecues. We miss the point in our relationships. We think they're about us, not about the people around us. We miss the point in our marriages. We miss the point of the blessings God's given us with our money. I think we even miss the point when we read the Bible. I don't think we do it intentionally, and I don't want anyone to walk out of here being like, oh, well, that was super encouraging on Memorial Day, Jason, thanks. Like, we miss the point because we're rushing so fast. We can't imagine having the time to slow down and reflect on what's really happening or why it's happening. And sometimes we miss the point because we become so familiar with a story or with a situation or a setting that we've just taken it for granted. So as we dive into this four-week study of the book of Jonah, I want to encourage each of us, no matter whether you've heard this story before or not, to approach it with fresh eyes, to ensure we don't miss the point of what God is inviting us into as we read this story. You see, one of my fears is that we've become so familiar with this children's story, we've missed, we've miss the rich meaning it has to give us. I mean, we, how many of you are thinking about Veggie Tales and the story of Jonah, right? Jonah was a prophet, but he really never got it, right? Some of you who've seen that, you're like, okay, yeah, we get the tune, it's going, it's going in the back of my head, it keeps going, it keeps going. Now, while Veggie Tales does a better job than a lot of children's books at telling us the story of Jonah, it still misses the nuance. 
And the truth is, whether it's the children's stories or a lot of adult curriculum or adult retelling of the story of Jonah, we focus a ton on Jonah chapter 1 and Jonah chapter 3. Because that's the story, right? We're going to read Jonah chapter 1 today and you'll be like, wait, if you just have a cursory glance of the story, you might be like, wait, I thought that was the whole story. But we don't talk about Jonah chapter 2 or Jonah chapter 4 very often at all. And those are the two chapters where Jonah and God get to dialogue. And I think we see the heart of what's really happening. Because for most of us, Jonah's a story about what? A big fish, right? It's a story about a big fish. Do you know how many times in Jonah that big fish happened? That big fish is talked about? Three verses. Three verses in four chapters, and we make it about a big fish. Maybe the most damaging thing we do is we allow the fish to distract us from what God is trying to do from the amazing work that God is going to do right in front of Jonah's eyes, despite Jonah. You see, Jonah's a book unlike any other in all of Scripture. If you don't know the Bible very well, the prophets are people who came with a message from God to a people. And in their stories, it's like normally you'll find a prophet if you're looking through the books of the Bible. It's like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. It's all the weird named guys, right? Habakkuk. Anybody name your kid Habakkuk? Nope. No, no, nobody. Okay. Got it right. And they have a message from God. You get in a couple verses at the beginning of the book how they've become a prophet, they get a message from God, and they're supposed to go tell the people that message. And the, the, the telling of that message is all of their book. But that's not the way Jonah works. Jonah is like a biography about Jonah. It's, it's not necessarily God's message now takes the couple of verses, and it's a biography of how Jonah responds to this message. It's a story about the prophet Jonah, but honestly, if we look at it, it's a story about us. Instead of a story about a guy who gets swallowed by a big fish, this really becomes a story about us and some of our worst attributes. It's a story about pride. It's a story about judgmentalism. It's a story about tribalism. It's a story about hard-heartedness. And worst of all, it's a story about our struggle to understand and grow in our relationship with a God who loves us. I hope as we study this two-page book in your Bible, probably takes less than two pages to cover, We'll let some of the deeper realities of the book of Jonah sink in to our lives. I pray that we would understand what the psalmist meant when he said in Psalm chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They're like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. My prayer is that as we take time to meditate on the words of the book of Jonah, that it would produce fruit in our lives. Fruit of humility. Fruit of love. Fruit that enables us to trust in God even when he asks us to do really hard things. And most of all, that as we sink our roots down deep, we'd grow in our relationship with Jesus. 
So with all that in mind, would you join me quickly in prayer? God, I thank you that as we read your word, what we see from the beginning to the end is that you want a relationship with us. God, you have plans for our lives. You have purposes for our lives. And God, we miss that. So God, I ask today you'd calm our minds and you'd allow your truth to penetrate our hearts. That we could really hear what you want to say. And that God, as a result of that, we would walk out of this place different. Because we've had an encounter with you. Because your word has changed us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you got your phones or Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Jonah chapter 1. Or, uh, and Jonah's a small book, so it will be tricky to find. might be easier to use your phone. Jonah chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 1. It says this. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of, city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. All right, now I want to pause there. Because we've missed a joke already. And maybe you don't get it, Bible jokes are not always the most obvious to see. But Jonah's name literally translates dove. So it says dove, which was a biblical symbol of peace. And son of Amittai means son of faithfulness. So the book literally begins, The Lord gave this message to dove, son of faithfulness. Now, if you know the story of Jonah, you realize how ridiculous this title is. Jonah's the least peaceable and the least faithful character in this whole story. As we unpack this, he's the guy who's like, he's angry all the time. You're going to see he's just, he's bitter. He's not a person of peace. And then he's, he's not faithful to what God asked him to do, but that's the way the book starts out. So just don't miss that humor. I, I, maybe you don't think it's funny. I was like, oh, that's kind of that's funny. And he's sent to the city of Nineveh, right? So why are the Ninevites so evil? Well, if you've studied scripture at all or history at all, you know that some of the most brutal and gruesome people groups were in power at the time the Bible was written. Whether it's the Romans or the Babylonians or Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. And the Assyrian king at that time who served in Nineveh, his uh, battle strategy was to go in and capture the rulers of a city. And then he would gather the city around them before he took them into captivity and he would skin the leaders alive and then take the people into captivity. This is a, and that's just one. I was like, there are too many nasty examples. I don't want you all to be like, church got rated R all of a sudden. I don't know what happened, right? Like this is a brutal people group that God is seen and he's like, we are going to remove them from power, right? So remember last week we talked about the God of wrath in the Old Testament. Why is God so angry? This is one of those times when he's going to go wipe out the Ninevites because they're just awful people doing horrible things. Knowing this, it makes a little more sense of Jonah's response to God's command in verse 3. It says, But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Okay. 
So if you know that the Ninevites are such horrible people, you can understand why Jonah might not want to go stand in the middle of the city and be like, hey, there's a God and he's going to punish you if you don't repent. He's like, I know what they're going to do to me. I'm not going to go. And we can look at it and be like, oh, I do the same thing Jonah do. That makes common sense. It makes logic to me. But Jonah doesn't give us that excuse. Because Jonah tells us at the end of the story in Jonah chapter 4 why he wouldn't go. Listen to Jonah chapter 4 verse 2. Didn't I say before I left home, this is Jonah talking directly to God, that you would do this, Lord? That's why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. You're eager to turn your back from destroying people. Jonah didn't turn and run the opposite direction because he was afraid of the king of Nineveh. He chooses to disobey God because he doesn't believe the Ninevites deserve the opportunity to experience God's grace and forgiveness. He doesn't believe that this entire people group deserves the opportunity to repent or turn away from their sin. I want you to let that sink in. The prophet of God, God's mouthpiece in the Old Testament, doesn't believe that these people deserve the opportunity to hear God's grace. That should stop us for a minute. Because remember what I said, this is a story not just about Jonah, it's a story about us. Who could God call us to go and share a message of grace and repentance with? And we might turn and run the opposite direction. See, God's calling Jonah on an incredible adventure. He gets to have a front row seat of one of the most amazing course changes in all of history. But Jonah's hatred for these people, his pride that he knows best and is going to keep these people from experiencing God's grace, stops them from getting to hear God's love for them. See here at Great Oaks, we value stories of unimaginable transformation because we believe Jesus loves us too much to let us stay the same. There's going to be stories of unimaginable transformation. We'll get to one later this morning and all throughout the book of Jonah. But Jonah misses them. Jonah doesn't get to celebrate them. Jonah doesn't get to see them because he's too worried about being in control of who does and doesn't get to experience God's mercy. Instead of trusting God to do what God does and be who God is, Jonah runs as far as he can in the opposite direction. And I want you to see this on a map. So Jonah is in Joppa, right over here, and he takes off to Tarshish. And we might be like, well, that's kind of far away, but not really far away. What I want you to know about that is Tarshish is the end of the known world in Jonah's day, right? They don't actually believe there's anything past Tarshish. They've put a port there, there are people there, and there's nothing beyond that. Jonah has literally run to the end of the world to get away from God. 
Not only has he run from the end of the world, but he's gone south. Actually, I guess Jonah's in Gath Heifer when he gets God's message and he goes south to Joppa to catch the boat. So he's going down. Just hold that in your memory bank. We'll come back to that in a minute. But most importantly, he is going literally in the opposite direction that God has called him. God says, go east to Nineveh. Jonah goes west to Tarshish. And he goes as far west as he can possibly go. He's going to test out Psalm 139.7 when it says, I can't escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you're there. If I ride on the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the furthest ocean, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. Jonah is running away as far as he can get from God's opportunity. You see, biblical scholar Tim Mackey says this, God's own people can become God's biggest obstacle to his mission in the world. God's mission is to send his grace and mercy to Nineveh, and Jonah is going to Tarshish. It's always been God's plan to use us, to use his people, to use his creation, to love, to share his love with those around us. We talked about this story last week, and I'm sorry, but it's just so important. I don't want you to miss it. In Genesis chapter 12, when God calls Abraham and he establishes the Israelites, he says this in 12:2, I will make you a great nation. I'll bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. God's plan has always been that we exist as followers of Jesus, as God's chosen people, Israel, to bless other people around us. It's why Jesus says in Matthew 22, 37 through 40, the greatest commandment, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second, love your neighbor as yourself. You see, when we put those two things together, we see that it's always been and always will be God's plan to use us to share his love to those around us. Jonah's story is a story about us. The question is, and as we walk through this book, I hope you remember this statement. God invites us into an amazing story, but we have to choose to participate. God doesn't, didn't make us robots. He didn't make us people who have no choice not to obey. We can disobey if we want, but we miss it. Every time Jonah or we say no to God, we miss out on an amazing story. And let's get back and just see what this story is that Jonah's about to miss out on. Picking up in, in verse 4 of chapter 1. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the ocean, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods to help them and threw cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this, he shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused this terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What's your line of work? What country are you from? What's your nationality? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. 
The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned, and since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to stop this storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is my fault. Did you see it? Here are these non-believing pagan sailors on the middle of a boat, in the middle of the sea, in the middle of a storm, and what are they doing? They're crying out to the God that they know. The only gods they know, they're crying out for mercy, for help. They're throwing stuff overboard. The cargo they're throwing overboard is probably the cargo they were paid to deliver. They're losing their money as they throw this stuff overboard. And what's Jonah doing? He's sleeping. Jonah decided to take a nap. You see, on the outside, from the outside looking in, Jonah's rebellion against God seems to have no effect on him. But it is destroying the lives of those around him. Jonah's rebellion has consequences. And those consequences affect people around us. Our sin always affects those around us. It's the truth about sin. We might not see it, but our pride, our envy, our lust, etc., affect our relationships with those around us. Maybe we see this in no better way than in the story of David and Bathsheba. You see, it's little decisions that lead to destruction. Do you know how that story begins? In 1 Samuel, at the time when kings go off to war, David stayed home. It's a small compromise on David's part. He should have gone off to war, but he chose to stay home. And then he sees Bathsheba. And then he decides he wants Bathsheba as his wife. And so he has Uriah killed after Bathsheba is pregnant with David's baby. David's sin had consequences. It cost Uriah his life. It cost Bathsheba her marriage. It cost David the firstborn child between he and Bathsheba. But if we want to look at it in our own lives, it affects our lives too. How many kids are in the room today? Anybody raise your hand? You're a kid. All right. How many of you have been in the car when your parents are having an argument? Right? That affects everybody. I will tell you, when my wife and I have an argument in the car, and if I get angry, everybody in the car knows that dad's angry. Right? And it gets real quiet. And nobody moves. Because like, if I make a, if I make a sound, dad's going to yell. As long as dad doesn't yell, we can just sit here in uncomfortable silence, right? Our sin, my sin, has effect on the life of my kids. My sin, my anger, the things I say, the things Corey and I say back and forth to each other have an effect on each other. Truth is, Jonah's sin's been taking him down since the story started. Have you caught it? Remember I told you he went south to Joppa? He went down to Joppa. 
He went down onto the ship, is what the Bible says. He went down into the cargo hold of the ship. In a minute, he's going to go down into the water and then down into the belly of a fish. Jonah's on a downward spiral away from God. And it's affecting his ability to see the impact his actions are having on everybody else. It's into Jonah's ignorance, into Jonah's avoidance, that the captain, like, interrupts Jonah's nap. And he's like, pray. Pray to that God you told us on the dock that you're running from because he's going to kill us. Pray to your God. And then the, the pirates, like, lose their mind. The sailors, like, lose their mind, right? They're like, where are you from? What do you do? His profession doesn't really matter at this point. They're just asking all the questions. They want all the facts because they rolled the dice. And Jonah's the problem. And so they're looking for answers. They're trying to figure it out. And I don't know about you, but Jonah's answer is hard to read. Who are you? Jonah 1.9. Jonah answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. That word worship, depending on your translation, might say fear. And I fear the Lord. Anybody else just want to scream? No, you don't. If you feared the Lord, you'd do what he told you to. Jonah's fear or his response shows his hypocritical nature. And the minute we look at this book and go, ha, Jonah, hypocrite. I'd never do what Jonah did. Congratulations, we just fell into the trap that the book of Jonah sets for us. We come here every week, sing songs about how much we love God and how much we'll surrender our lives to him and how much we'll do those things for him. And I walk out of this building and I yell at my kids in the car and we have a fight and everybody sits quiet. Dad's angry. That's hypocritical to the songs we just sang. I do it. We all do it. Question is, do we own it? The irony of the story is the prophets or the sailors are the ones who get it, not the prophet, not the one who's supposed to get it. The sailors get it. They're like, wait, wait, your God is the God of the sea. Our, our boat is in your God's sea. We're going to die. So what do they do? They start to paddle harder to get back to the land, but they can't paddle hard enough because God makes the steer, strong, storm stronger. So they're like, we'll throw you over. But wait, we can't throw you over because that's a human life and we can't take a human life. What are we to do? Let's take a look at the end of the story. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Oh Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin and don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh Lord, you've sent this storm upon us for your good reasons. Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him as a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. Don't you love that? Arranged. Just set up that meeting date. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. The sailors, the storm stops. Who fears God? 
Jonah says he fears God, but the sailors actually do. They made a sacrifice. Now, sacrifice was like a whole animal, right? So it's like you're going to sacrifice a cow. The likelihood of them building a fire on their wooden boat to sacrifice a cow in the middle of the sea after a big storm is slim to none. This is not like me at King's Island when I'm on this roller coaster and I'm praying, God, if you get me off this roller coaster alive, I will go to Africa for you, right? I got off the roller coaster alive, barely, but I have never been to Africa yet. The sailors are not crying out, God, get me out of this storm and we'll do whatever you want. They really do it. They get back to shore. They find a place where they can worship the one true God. And they make a sacrifice to him. This is unimaginable transformation. That these pagan sailors who are praying to multiple gods at the beginning of the story make a sacrifice and commit to serve the one true God at the end of chapter one. One chapter They've made their lives change. And where's Jonah? Inside a fish. God did his work in the sailor's life despite Jonah. This is a sad story about a prophet who missed it. And I hope as we read this story, we begin to look inside of our own lives and ask questions about where we're missing it. Where'd we miss the point? Where'd we miss the work God's doing? God's inviting us into an amazing story. We have to choose to participate. We've got four questions for you as we leave this morning to help you figure out if you've missed the point or not. And I hope that you'll spend time and reread Jonah chapter one and meditate on these four questions throughout this week. Share them with people you trust. Is there a hardness in your heart towards a group of people that Jesus needs to soften? Is there a hardness towards a group of people that Jesus needs to soften? Number two, is there a sin we need to confess to God and ask for his forgiveness. Is there something going on in your life that is causing you to miss what God has? Maybe you're just holding on to it because you're afraid to let go of it. We need to let go of that sin. Three, is there a relationship that you need to try and restore? The relationship in this story is between God and Jonah. It's fractured, it's broken. But it's also about Jonah and the sailors. He doesn't, I mean, he says, throw me over, and biblical scholars argue, did he really repent at that point, or is he just like, just let me die? Lastly, where do we need to surrender to God and do what he's asking us to? The story of Jonah puts that front and center in our lives. Is there something God is asking us to do that we're rejecting. Now, I can't imagine in a room this big and including those who are watching online that everyone here knows this God. There's probably a few sailors in the room. Maybe you're here because it's a holiday and somebody made you come and they told you you can't have the steak that you're going to grill later on today if you didn't come this morning. 
The truth of the story of Jonah is it points to one who's greater than him. You see, Jesus is the one who makes unimaginable transformation possible in each and every one of our lives. Jesus did say, I'll go. I'll go to the cross. I'll pay for the sin you can't pay for. I'll take your guilt on myself and I'll give you forgiveness. Instead of going into a fish for three days, Jesus went into a tomb for three days and he came out alive. Paying the price for our sin, paying the price for what we deserve. If you don't know the love that Jesus has for you, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 10 that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. Please don't leave here today without talking to one of our prayer workers on the side. They would love to pray with you. They'd love to help you take that first step to be a follower of Jesus. And if you're here today and you've got an answer to one of those questions and you're like, I would love to have somebody pray with me over this because I'm struggling and I don't know how I'm gonna let go of it, those folks are there to pray for you too. There's no sin, there's no, sh- or there's no shame in going and talking to someone and saying, hey, I need help. Every single one of us in this room is incapable of living this life on our own. So as we close our service today, as we pray, if God's working in your heart, while we sing this last song or even after it's over, feel free to get up and go talk to one of those folks who will be on the side who would love to pray with you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, thank you for stories like Jonah's. They're not the most fun to read. They don't always tell us what we're supposed to do. It's a little bit more of a story of what we're not supposed to do. God, help us to see and to learn. Humble us so we can see the piece of Jonah that lives inside of each and every one of us. A rebellious spirit, a spirit that wants to be in control, a spirit that hasn't quite been humbled enough to realize that you died for people who sin differently than us. For all people, no matter who they are. But Lord, thank you for Jesus who reminds us of that truth, who stepped in to be exactly what we needed when we couldn't do it on our own. And so God, as we surrender our lives to him, I pray that you'd forgive us and that we'd share the love we've received with those we interact with each day. We pray all this in Jesus' name, by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen.